2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. That's as far as we're going to get tonight. Paul says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now we're going to get as far as this. this is, there's a, as you're going to see, there's a lot to unpack just from these four verses. So catch us back up a little bit. Paul begins this section by stating what he's going to be talking about in the next section of the book here. He's talking about concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. As we've already seen in our study of 1 Thessalonians, Paul had clearly taught them that the church would be raptured prior to the time of judgment called the day of the Lord. He had taught that over and over and he, when he had got with them personally and he reminded them of that in 1 Thessalonians, that the church would not be here for the time of judgment called the day of the Lord. We'd be taken out of here prior to that. Let me just remind you a couple of places We've looked at. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verses 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 of 1 Thessalonians. But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Look again at verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You're going to see in a little bit tonight that that's very important for our understanding and interpretation about the timing of the rapture. He says, encourage each other with these words. Go over to chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains, we've talked about the labor pains before, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We're not of the night or the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for 
a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, here it is again, encourage one another and build one another up just as you were doing. Paul had taught them very clearly that the rapture was going to happen. The gathering of the church is going to happen prior to the time of judgment that's still to come on the earth, called the day of the Lord. And so he said, look, he's, we're to wait for the son from his son from heaven, who spares us from the wrath to come. We're not destined for wrath. And we're to encourage each other with the fact that when Jesus comes in the clouds, those who have already gone to be with him are actually going to come with him. And we who are alive are going to be caught up and we're going to go meet the Lord in the air. And that's where he's been telling them this. And that's why in 1 Thessalonians, if you remember when we studied, they were concerned that those Christians who were dying were going to miss the rapture. They were told to be watching for it, be ready. It's going to happen at any moment. And now they're dying. Well, are they going to miss the rapture? And he says, no, they're going to come with him when he comes to gather us. So they had been taught that this was all going to happen prior to the day of the Lord. Now, as you're going to see, though, the church in Thessalonica was going through some severe persecution. Think back to what happened to Paul while he was there when he was in Thessalonica. And he got chased from out of that town to another town and so on and so on. And the people kept chasing him everywhere he went. Those same people were also doing a major, major attack on the church there in Thessalonica to the point that the church was under severe affliction. L let me show you what I mean. Go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 again and look at verses 3 and 4. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you, of one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. I could take more time, but we got so much to cover tonight that I, I'm not going to do it. But I could take you back through 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, where Paul keeps referencing the suffering that they're going through because of their faith. It, the suffering was so severe there were those false teachers that had come in and started to say, we're in the day of the Lord. It's the time of God's judgment. And God's judgment's already come. And somehow there appeared to be a letter seeming to come from Paul saying the same thing. And Paul says, hey, I've just gotten some more information from people up there in Thessalonica. I understand some people are telling you we're already in the day of the Lord. That's not true. And if there's a letter that's supposedly come from us, don't believe it. And so what we're going to do is we start breaking this down tonight and then when we get back together uh, next week, we're going to take a look at the fact that Paul starts laying out what the day of the Lord is going to look like. And if these things aren't happening, we're not in the day of the Lord. At the same time, we're going to spend some time tonight learning to differentiate the difference between people today that are trying to take what's happening in the world and saying, oh, that's the fulfillment of this scripture when it's not. And you have to learn how to recognize the difference. I want to show our hands. Has anybody, did anybody hear during COVID people hinting that we might be in the tribulation period? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Because of, I mean, doesn't the Bible say that during the tribulation period, there's going to be pestilences and diseases and all this stuff? Worldwide. Guess what, though? If you compare scripture to what was going on, even though it looked like it was a fulfillment of scripture, it wasn't. I'm not poo-pooing COVID. Please don't hear me as poo-pooing COVID. COVID was bad. You probably had loved ones, family members, or friends that died of COVID. 
But the percentage of people across the globe that died of COVID is less than 1% of the population of the world. But the Bible says that when these tribulation, when the tribulation period comes and the pestilences and the wars and all these things happen, there's going to be a quarter of the earth that are killed at one time. Big difference between a quarter of the population of the earth and less than 1%. Do you understand the difference? you got to know the difference from Scripture. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. Jesus himself said that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. But that's just the beginning of the birth pains. And if you remember, I've already laid out for you that the birth pains is the time period from the Scriptures of the seven years of tribulations that are still yet to come from Daniel's prophecy in Daniel 9, 20 through 27. People have been saying, well, there's increased earthquakes and there's all these threats of wars. We're in the birth pains. No, we're not. We've been having earthquakes and threatens of wars for years. Put yourself back in the time of World War I. Think about World War I. You, people hardly were convinced this is the end. There's wars, rumors of war, nations against nation. This is it. One World, World War I wasn't the end of it, was it? World War II, that's the one. No, that's what we're going to look at tonight. Paul is dealing with people who are coming along the scenes and saying, see what's going on? That's the fulfillment of Scripture. And Paul says, I don't want you to be alarmed or shaken in mind. Know the Scriptures so that you're not deceived when this happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's what we're going to spend a little time looking at tonight. But... A careful study of Scripture will show that the coming day of the Lord is much more severe and will affect the whole world. What I'm going to do is just briefly walk you through some Old Testament Scriptures that talk about the coming day of the Lord. And I want you to, I want to ask you, and I want you to think for yourself as well, is what I'm about to read to you happening now? I mean, because the Bible says in this world we're going to have tribulation, we're going to have trouble. And things are pretty bad right now, and, and let me encourage you with something, they're going to get worse. I mean, I'm very serious about that. They're going to get worse. If we're faithful to the scriptures, they're going to get worse. But are we in the day of the Lord? Listen to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 12 through 21. For the Lord of hosts has a day. Against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, and against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish, and against all the beautiful craft, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. And the idols shall utterly pass away, and the people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty when He rises to terrify the earth. In that day, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs, from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of His majesty when He rises to terrify the earth." Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for what account is, he, uh, account is he? Let me ask you a question. 
Are we in this time period, the day that is set by the Lord, where He alone will be exalted and all the idol worship will go away and people will hide themselves in the rocks and the caves? Do you remember Revelation? We see in the chapter 6 with the opening of the seals. We get to the sixth seal. What are they doing? They're calling to the rocks and the caves to hide them from the terror of the wrath of the Lamb. Are we in the day of the Lord? No. By the way, here it says here that when that day comes, mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship. Did anybody watch any Super Bowl commercials? I don't think we're in the day of the Lord. I think people are still fat and happy and worshiping their stuff that they made. Things are bad. They're going to get worse. But we're not in the day of the Lord. Don't be, I'm going to say it nicely, naive Christians who are susceptible to the people out there who are saying, oh, that's the fulfillment of Scripture, when it's not. I'm going to just chase this one real quick. For years, because of the regathering of Israel in 1948, I've heard too many Christians talk about how that's the fulfillment of the fact that in the last days he's going to gather them all into the land of Israel. That's not, no. They had to have been regathered into Israel for the prophecies about the last days to happen because the Antichrist is going to have to step into the temple, which is going to be rebuilt, and he's going to chase them out again. But the prophecies about the last days when he regathers the nation of Israel, it says that in that time he'll regather them from every nation. There won't be a Jew anywhere else on the earth except in Israel at the very end. And they'll all worship him at that time. We're not in that time period yet. The gathering of Israel in 1948 is a wonderful thing, and there are prophecies about that that have been fulfilled, where he's made them a nation in a day and so on. Yet at the same time, it's not the ultimate fulfillment, even though it may look like it a little bit. Paul's dealing here in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians with people who knew a little bit about what the Scripture was saying was to come and how they had been taught by Paul, but they didn't know it enough to the point that they were susceptible to the people that come and said, hey, this suffering you're going through, you're in the day of the Lord. And they were like, wait a minute, Paul, you told us that the day of the Lord was going to happen to them and not us, and we're going to be taken out of here prior to that. Remember what he's told them as we looked at earlier. We're not going to be here when the time of wrath comes, and we're to encourage each other with that. Look at Isaiah 13. Look at verses 6 through 13. Isaiah chapter 13, starting in verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Therefore, all hands will be feeble, and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They'll be in anguish like a woman in labor. There's the birth pains again. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I'll put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I'll make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Are we in the day of the Lord? No. The, the moon was out there a couple nights ago. Pretty big and full. Bright. This hasn't happened yet. Are things bad? Yes. But we're not in the tribulation period. Go to Joel chapter 2. 
Oh, and by the way, as we keep reading these, try to imagine encouraging each other with the fact that we still have this to go through. <laughs> Joel chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 11. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy hill or holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. It's a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains a great and powerful people, like there has never been before, nor will be again after them through the years of all generations. Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains, like a crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them peoples are in anguish, and all faces grow pale. Like warriors they charge, like soldiers they scale the wall, they march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths, they don't jostle one another. Each marches in his path, they burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city, they run upon the walls, they climb up into the houses, they enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters His voice before His army, for His camp is exceedingly great. He who executes His word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? By the way, if you know your Bibles and you studied Revelation with us, you'll know this just sounds like the exact same thing as that army that's coming out of the pit. The 200 million demons that are going to be released from the bottomless pit, they just go and devour and tear. And the Bible even said they look like horses. Are we in the day of the Lord? No. Can I encourage you with the fact that you're still going to go through this? We're to encourage each other with the fact we won't go through this. Well, we're not done. Go to Amos chapter 5. Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It's darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Go to Zephaniah, Zeph, Z-E-P-H, Zephaniah chapter 1. Look at verses 7 through 18. Zephaniah 1. 7 through 18. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and, con is, and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar, for all the traitors are no more. All who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I'll punish the men who are complacent, who, those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. In other words, God doesn't do anything. The goods, the goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. 
Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The man, mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I'll bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord and the fire of His jealousy. All the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Are there some bad stuff going on on the earth right now? Yes. Are there famines? Definitely. Is there plagues happening? Yes. Are there wars? Definitely. But it's not affecting the whole earth at once, at, you know. We're not in the day of the Lord. We're not in the tribulation period yet. Let me give you one more. Go to Malachi chapter 4. Verses 1 through 6. Malachi 4 verses 1 through 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Here we see this is specifically written to Israel, and that that day is coming. And for the Jews that survive this time period, remember, God's going to bring this judgment. We didn't look at it tonight, but in Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 4 through 7, it talks about how the day of the Lord's coming. It's a time of judgment. That's why every, you see man holding their stomach like a woman in labor. And then he says this, yet Israel will be saved out of it. The Jews that listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, and we're going to look at Matthew 24 a little bit tonight. The Jews that listen to what Jesus said when they see the abomination of desolation, which we're going to speak about a little bit later tonight as well. Those that see that abomination of desolation, he tells them, don't even go back into your house. Go run into the wilderness and hide. And God will protect you there. And we know from Revelation, he protects them there for the second half of the tribulation period for three and a half years. And when Jesus comes at the final great and awesome day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is the whole time periods, but the great and awesome day of the Lord is when Jesus comes back at the very end. He's going to lead them out from Basra where they are, and they're going to have victory over their enemies. But he says, before that day comes... I'm going to send you Elijah. Now, we don't have time to chase this too much, but a type of Elijah had already come in John the Baptist. And he had given him an opportunity to respond then, but he also knew that they were going to reject him. And that's why in, after uh, the transfiguration, as they're coming down the mountain in Matthew 17, that uh, they asked Jesus, they said, why do the prophets or the scribes and the, the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And he says, Elijah does come. Actually, he says, Elijah has come. And he also then says, he will come. Don't miss that. And that's when they realized that he was talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. But Elijah is still going to come before that great and awesome day. 
I believe that's one of the scriptural evidences of the fact that one of the two witnesses will be Elijah himself. But that's another message for another time. I wrote in my notes after all these scriptures on the day of the Lord. By the way, this doesn't sound like comfort one another with these words material. Yet what did we see earlier? Paul, whenever he was talking about the fact that the church wouldn't be here for that time of judgment, he'd say, encourage each other with these words, comfort each other with these words. And so he had taught them the church is going to be gathered prior to the time of judgment coming on the whole world called the day of the Lord. He had said that over and over. We're going to be caught up, go to be with him, meet him in the clouds. Yet, they, like I said, they were concerned because some Christians had started to die and they were afraid they were going to miss that day when he gathers his church. Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, relax, they're going to come with him when he comes and they'll be a part of it. Now at this point, a little bit later, months later after he wrote the first letter, he's gotten word that false teachers had come in and say, we're in the day of the Lord. Don't listen to what Paul said. You're not going to escape it. You're in it. Think about what's going on. Think of how, how hard things are. And they're using what was going on around them to convince these people that they were in the day of the Lord. And Paul says, let's talk about Jesus' return and our being gathered to him. Don't be quickly shaken or alarmed by some saying that we're in the day of the Lord, that it's already come, or some letter that seems to have come from us. That's not the truth. And then he begins to lay out some of the other conditions of what the day of the Lord is going to look like, which we'll start to get to in a second here. Paul says in verse number two, though, that they weren't to be, go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 2, he says, they weren't to be shaken in mind or alarmed. Another word could be troubled. They weren't to be shaken in mind or alarmed or troubled when they heard sensational announcements. In Matthew chapter 24, we don't have time to go there. In Matthew 24, verse 6, Jesus said that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. But the end is not yet. I've already talked about this earlier. There's been wars and rumors of wars throughout history, have there not? Continually. We're not in that. But there's a lot of people say, oh, that's proof that... No. Use the whole of Scripture to understand truth versus error. There's been lots of wars and rumors of wars. We're not there yet, but it's coming. But when, when I say to you, don't be shaken in mind or alarmed or troubled, when I say, don't let your heart be troubled, does that bring any scripture to anyone's mind? Let's say it again. Don't let your hearts be troubled. John 14. Actually, it's with that too, but go to chapter, chapter 14, verse 1. Go to chapter 14, verse 1. And we're going to get to 27 right after that. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Of course, he then says, and of course, Thomas says, you know, how do we know where you're going? We don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? And of course, he said, I'm the way. Listen closely, though, what he says. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house already are many rooms. 
If that weren't true, would I tell you that I go prepare a place for you? Again, you've heard me say this before. I don't believe Jesus was saying, I'm going to go to heaven and swing a hammer and a saw and some spackle and prepare a house for you. That's how we've been told. I heard this one preacher one time said, it took God six days to make the world. He's been working on my mansion for 2,000 years. It's going to be amazing. No, I think what Jesus was saying, in my Father's house are many rooms. They already exist. If that weren't, if that weren't true, why would I tell you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he's talking about the cross. He went to the cross to prepare the way for us to go to the Father's house. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. That's heaven, folks. That's the rapture. What does he say? Don't let your heart be troubled. Now go to John 14, 27. 14, verse 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be afraid. Folks, when we hear predictions that seem to match up with what is going on in the world, we must test them against Scripture, not experiences. People can take what's going on in the world and say, well, look at this. That's the fulfillment of this. I heard this one preacher years ago say, satellites. Oh, the Bible said there'd be signs in the, in the heavens. That's satellites. <laughs> Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We need to be reminded of something we studied at the very end of our study of 1 Thessalonians. Look at verses 20 through 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 through 22. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We need to not just do this, la, 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 la. I'm not going to listen to anybody. I'm not going to, and I'm just going to tune everybody out. No, no. You need to still be sensible and, and sensitive. God, God may use someone to speak to you. He still uses preachers and teachers. Yet at the same time, it doesn't matter who the preacher or teacher is. I don't care how much you respect them and their study or whatever. You need to let the Spirit of God show you whether or not what they're saying is true. And you need to check everything Jim Johnson says. Because it doesn't matter how many scriptures I can quote to you or how loud I get, I'm human. And the Spirit of God is going to help you recognize whether or not what I'm saying is truth. That's why I try to use a lot of scriptures to help you see it from the whole of scripture. But at the same time, if anybody believes it because Jim says it, you're in trouble. Because the only one that opens eyes to spiritual truth is who? Yes, yeah, not James Burks. It's the Lord, right? It's the Lord. And so you need to know the scriptures and know the word of God and know the spirit of God well enough to recognize truth from error. So we're to be listening. Now, there are going to be people. You remember back when all the, 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 the blood moons and the solar eclipses all happened that year on the feast days. And all these people wrote all those books, made lots of money because everybody was convinced. Here we go. And Jesus all along has been saying, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Why are you writing all these books about the times and the seasons? That's for them. That's for the people after the church age. You all are just to be walking with me, looking for me to return, ready at any moment, not trying to figure out the day, but being ready for that day. 
And that's why Jesus himself said this in Acts chapter 1, verse, uh, verses 1 and following. They, he had been teaching them for 40 days about the kingdom of God. And after hearing him teach about the kingdom of God for 40 days, in verse 6, they come to Jesus and they say, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I love that. Because there's Christians out there that say there is no coming kingdom in Israel. The amillennial view, if you will. And that it, it, the church age is the end. Well, if Jesus had taught with them plainly for 40 days about the coming kingdom, they would, and he was teaching there was no coming kingdom, they would not have asked, are you going to restore the kingdom in Israel now? So they come saying, is it going to happen now? The stuff you've been saying is going to still happen. Is it going to happen now? Listen to what he says. It's not for you to know the times or the dates or the seasons of the Father set by his own authority. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. and You can be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the innermost parts of the earth. That's what your responsibility is. Don't worry about figuring it out. Paul, we already read earlier tonight, said to him, look, I don't need to write to you about the times and the seasons. Let me, you know that when the world is saying peace and security, that's going to be important later on in our study. When the world's saying peace and security, then sudden destruction is going to come upon them as labor pains upon a woman. But you guys aren't of the night. You're of the day. You're in a different group. Folks, let me encourage you with something. I can't promise that you're going to live between now and when Jesus gathers his church. I can't promise that you'll have an easy life between now and when God promises his church, comes to gather his church like he's promised. But I can encourage you with this. He's coming to get you. And you won't be here when this real bad stuff comes. I'm going to show you a little later tonight. You think what's going on now is bad? I'm going to show you passages in Daniel where Daniel's given visions of what's to come. And Daniel, who survived Nebuchadnezzar and lion's dens and all that stuff, passed out pretty much when he saw what's about to come on the world. The people on the earth that are going to be alive at that time are going to be calling for the rocks to fall on them. They won't be making Super Bowl commercials during that time. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy 3 verses 13 through 16. He's in the middle of a run-on sentence, but if you tried to find wherever Paul started one, you'd have a hard time anyway, so, which makes me feel good when I write things too. But 2 Timothy 3, look at verses 13 through 16. He says, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And that doesn't mean me, that means the Lord. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to excuse me, make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Don't miss this. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Word of God will get you through this. We've been saying this over and over from Romans 15, verse 4. The things that have been written in the past were written for our encouragement and our endurance that we might have hope. Folks, the only thing that's making it possible for me and for those of us who are followers of Christ who know the word of God to live in this day and be able to be okay 
is the word of God. I was in Sam's today. My wife asked me to run and get a chicken. If you, by the way, if you don't know about the Sam's chickens, you're missing out on everything. They're huge. And they're, and they're cheap. She sent me for one. I got two. But it's all right. She shouldn't have let me get in there. I, I, they just looked too good. And we needed a couple in my mind, even though we didn't need a couple. But we, I still got two. But as I was talking to the Lord while I was there and just looking around and I'm looking in the food court, I didn't see one person smiling. Now, of course, I was near the registers. <laughs> but at the same time, have you walked, looked around at all today in public? Have you noticed how people are just surviving? They have no hope. But those of us who know the Lord, as we see things happening, as you've heard me say, Adrian Rogers said years ago, it's getting gloriously dark. It's getting closer and closer to the return of the Lord. I turned 59 in March. I'm excited about that. You know why? I'm a day closer to heaven. It's real. We have a hope. Because not only that, he's going to come and get us. We won't be here for all this stuff. But our responsibility and our time is to grow in our love for him and our trust in him and the knowledge of the word so that we can encourage one another and share the good news with the people who say, how in the world can you smile in Sam's? Actually, I know something. I'm going to be all right. There's a scripture I can't wait to get to, but we're going to get to it in a little bit. Listen to Acts chapter two, chapter 20. You don't have to turn there, but Acts 20, 29 and following. Paul's speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he says this. He says that I know, I know that after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in to the church, not sparing the flock. And they're going to try to lead the disciples to follow them. And I've warned you night and day with tears. Listen to what he says next. And I commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. He didn't say, you guys got to come up with a plan. You got to rewrite your constitution and bylaws to protect yourself from these nuts. He says, you just stick with God and his word and you'll be fine. Folks, I'm going to say something to you as lovingly as I can. One of the biggest problems in our churches today, and take it from a guy that's in many different churches around the country, is biblical illiteracy. I'm glad you're coming to a Bible study on a regular basis. That's wonderful. But one of the problems I deal with, and a lot of pastors today included, is biblical illiteracy. Very few Christians really, really meditate on God's word day and night. By the way, you know, the passages didn't say day or night. Well, I had my quiet time in the morning. Well, good for you. But the Bible says that's nothing compared to what God wants you to be doing. Well, I have my quiet time at night. That's great. But that's not what God's wanting you to do. The word says meditate on it day and night. When you rise up, when you lay down, when you walk along the way as you're teaching your children, the word of God should be what fuels what we do, how we think, how we look at things. Sometimes people get a little tired of hanging out with me and talking to me because all I'm going to do is say, well, the Bible says this and the Bible says that. Why? Because everything I look at has to run through the filter of the word of God. That's the only way I'm going to keep myself from error. And I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Oh, but Jim, you've been to school. 
let me tell you, I went to school and the whole time I was in school, I was associate pastor of a big church in New Orleans. And I sat in those classes realizing this doesn't apply. This doesn't apply. But you know what? I'm glad for my time in seminary. It taught me how to study a little bit. But at the same time, let me tell you, the Bible says the spirit of God that indwells Jim Johnson indwells you. And he's the one who will bring to our remembrance everything that he said. He's the one that's going to teach us all things. You don't need me in order to teach you. He uses people like us to feed you the word of God and point you to him. But you actually need to spend time spending time with him and letting him speak to you. It's sad that many Christians go week to week getting their recharge on Sunday. And if you've been to any churches lately, the people preaching the word aren't preaching the word. So they're not getting a whole lot of recharge from the word. They're just getting a lot of pious platitudes and sermonettes. Ears tickled. Paul goes on in verses 3 and 4. Go ahead to verses 3 and 4, 2 Thessalonians 2. To show that the day of the Lord won't come without the Antichrist being involved and also the rebellion or apostasy that has been predicted as well. But I want you as I read this to notice. Notice he says the rebellion and the man of lawlessness. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 3 and 4. Let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion, the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, some people try to read this and say, well, that means that those things have to happen and then the day of the Lord comes. No, that's not how it's written here in the Greek. It's just saying that these things are tied into the day of the Lord. So if these things haven't happened, you're not in the day of the Lord. They're not having to happen first, and then the day of the Lord comes. That's not how it's worded in the Greek. So, the rebellion. Has there been a falling away from the Lord over the years? Been going on from the beginning of time. They were falling away. The nation of Israel was brought out of Egypt and brought to worship the Lord, and they worshiped the Lord, and then Moses goes up on a mountain, and what do they all do? Go back to the golden calf. Judas was one of the twelve, and never really was, and... Fell away. Why? Because he wasn't one. But there is a great falling away, the rebellion that's going to happen. I think it's going to be tied around the timing of the rapture personally. I think when Jesus takes his bride and those who are left never were, I'm not sure there's going to be a great revival at that time. Jesus said he's about to spit them out of his mouth. Go to Matthew 24. Look at verses 10 through 13. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, talking to the nation of Israel especially, one who endures to the end will be saved. This is the verse I've been waiting to get to you tonight. Go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But the verses are going to be after that. But let me read to verses 1 through 3 to start with. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction. By the way, isn't that interesting? If they're getting destructed, that means they're lost, correct? But the master bought them. Isn't that interesting? Aren't there people out there that are teaching Jesus only died for the people that are going to be saved? That doesn't match up with the whole of Scripture, folks. Don't fall prey to that kind of teaching. Jesus died for everybody. But those who receive it by faith are the ones who are going to get it. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idled, and their destruction is not asleep. I love this. Keep reading now. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for is that... Righteous man lived among them day after day. He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Did you catch that? Two examples of when God brought judgment on the world or judgment on a nation, he spared those who were his prior to it. I love the picture of the ark. The ark is Jesus. When you're in him, he's going to bring you up above it while it all goes on. And then we're going to come back with him onto the earth when it's remade, just like after the flood. And we're going to rule and reign with him on the thousand year reign of Christ. Kind of cool, isn't it? We're going to be all right. Let me encourage you with these words. The spirit of Antichrist has always been around, folks. But one day in the future, the Antichrist will come on the scene. Go to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to just read a couple of verses there, starting in verse 18. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children, it's the last hour. By the way, this was written 2,000 years ago, pretty much. But it's the, when he says it's the last hour, this is the last time period before the day of the Lord. We're going to be gathered at the end of this one. And as you have heard, that at Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Oh, they went out from us, but they weren't of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they're all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I don't write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And, and no lie is of the truth. Who's the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. Who, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, and if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Yeah, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it, is, it has taught you, abide in him. There have been many people that are antichrist, 
But there is the Antichrist that is still coming. Matthew 24. Go back to Matthew 24 and look at verse 15. By the way, again, I hope you understand Matthew 24 is laying out for us the whole tribulation period. The day of the Lord. Matthew 24, verses 15 through 22. When you see, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who's on the housetop not go down to take what's in his house. And let the one who's in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Interesting. Sure sounds a lot like that passage in Isaiah where he said he's going to make human beings more rare than fine gold. It's going to get so bad. But what, is, what did Jesus say? He said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, especially the nation of Israel, he's saying, you better run. If you're in Judea, get out. Pray it's not on a Sabbath. If you're not talking to the church, talking to the Jews. But listen to something. For years, people say, well, Jim, Jesus was talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes went into the temple, offered pigs on the altar, put a statue of Zeus with his face on it, and he declared himself to be God. Jesus was talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. I can prove to you he wasn't. You know why? Because if you know anything about history, when Jesus said these words, Antiochus Epiphanes had already happened 400 years prior. So when Jesus says that it's still future, it can't be Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes was a picture, was a type. I believe Satan has had his man in the wings in every port of history. Now, let's be honest. If you're alive at the time of Hitler, you probably were sure that's the Antichrist. I mean, good grief. He fulfills all the, well, he doesn't fulfill all of it, but a lot of the scriptures. It sure looked like, do you see how we're not to be quickly shaken or alarmed? Because, Jim, it looks like. Yes, but what about this verse? What about that verse? That's what I've been trying to teach you over the years. There are a lot of people that believe doctrines, but they don't use the whole of Scripture. The only way you can be understand that the doctrine is true is if it matches with the whole of Scripture. Not a verse here or a passage there that sure looks like that. And so in the same way, there's a guy coming on the scene. He may be alive today. We don't know. But don't even worry about whether or not he's alive today and don't even worry about whether or not who it is because I got too many Christians still trying to figure out, well, is it this guy over here in, in Europe or is it this guy here, there? And what's his nationality going to be? Or is he, is he going to be a Jew? Or is he going to be a, 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 an Assyrian or from Micah chapter 5 and different things like this? And you know we're going to get to that next time we get together. But the passage we're in here in 2 Thessalonians says he won't be revealed until after he who restrains is taken out of the way. And I'm going to show you from Scripture that that's the removal of the church. When the Holy Spirit is going to be removed from the earth, so lawlessness will increase. By the way, if the Holy Spirit is going to be removed in some shape from the earth, the salt, slowing the decay, who has to go with him? We have to! Because he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. So if he's going, we're going too! But we'll get to that next week. But let me just say this to you. If you know who the Antichrist is, that's a bad thing. <laughs> Serious. That means you're still here. Because he won't be revealed until then. So leave it alone. Go to Daniel. 
chapter 8. Well, you know what's cool? I'm seeing some of your faces. You're getting encouraged. Seriously, we're looking at this horrible stuff and you're getting encouraged. That's what the word's for. That's why it's, we're supposed to be looking at this stuff. This is encouraging. Daniel chapter 8. Look at verses 19 and then verses 23 through 27. He said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation. Another time description of the tribulation period. For it refers to the appointed time of the end. Now verse 23. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, who one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. That's the tribulation saints, not the church. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand. And in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. And he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Of course, Revelation, John was told, don't seal it up anymore. But look at verse 27. And I, Daniel was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. This is the same Daniel, like I told you, that had been taken captive under Nebuchadnezzar as a young boy, who had been in the lion's den, who probably saw the fiery furnace episode with his friends, who had seen the destruction, had seen the, the nation of Babylon being destroyed when the Medes and the Persians took over. Daniel's seen some heavy stuff. Yet when he's given a vision of what it's going to be during this time that is still to come, he's sick for days. The beast that he saw that's coming was terrifying. Just trampled everything underfoot. It's coming. It's not for us, but it's coming. What's our responsibility between now and then? To figure out when? No. To encourage each other and tell people so that they won't be here when this happens. Go to Daniel 11. Look at verses 36 and 37. If you take the time to look at Daniel 11, uh, they lay out. Uh, Daniel 11 goes into such a specific prophecy that people say this had to be written afterwards. Nobody would know because it lays out the whole history of what was going to happen. With uh, It talks about Alexander the Great and the four kings that come from him. and all. It was amazing the prophecy that God gave Daniel. And even in the verses prior to where we're reading, it's going to talk about Antiochus Epiphanes, but we're going to jump to verse 36, where all of a sudden it begins speaking about this one that is to come, the Antichrist. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done he shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall pay, not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. Now, let me just say this to you. We saw earlier tonight in 1 Thessalonians 5 that when everyone's saying peace and safety, 
sudden destruction will come upon them. Jim, you've been saying all night that it's bad and it's going to get worse. When are people going to be saying peace and safety if things are going to get worse? When the Antichrist comes on the scene. You know the prophecies. He's going to come on the white horse, if you will, with no bow. And he's not going to get power by conquering with armies or anything, but with flattery. And he's going to understand riddles, as we read here. He's going to be very smart. He's going to be very persuasive. And he is going to actually take control of the whole world. And he's going to bring a peace treaty, if you will. The Bible says he'll confirm a covenant with the many for one last seven-year period. But in the middle of that period, he's all of a sudden going to show his true colors as Satan comes to indwell him, and he'll declare himself to be God. But there's going to be a time when the world will be saying we're all good. By the way, let me ask you a quick question. Is the world right now trying for one world government? Of course. Oh, and by the way, they're going to do it. Now, while, it's, while we're still here or not, I, I don't know, I hope not, but it's going to happen. But in some way, and this is what it really shows you how much there's going to have to be a peace treaty, there's going to be a temple in Israel for the Antichrist to step into. You want to talk about a dude able to make some, some agreements. Look what's going on in the world right now, especially in Israel. Someone's going to come in and convince everybody they can rebuild it. And they're not going to run to rebuild it anywhere. This guy's going to be pretty impressive for a season. But when they're all saying peace and safety, sudden destruction is going to come on them. But it's not for us. Not for us. Is it going to happen this year? I don't know. The rapture? I know the, 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 the tribulation period is at least seven years. The end of it is at least seven years away. But when's the rapture? You didn't hear a thing I said if you want me to answer that. Not for us to know. Let's close with Revelation chapter 13. You get one scripture they didn't get last night. Some of you say thank you. Some of you don't say thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Dee. That was, that was helpful. Revelation 13, look at verses 1 through 10. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. And it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, and blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here's a call for endurance and faith of the saints. Now, Jim, all this time you've been talking about how we're not going to be here, and now it looks like we're going to be here. No, these saints are those who are going to come to faith because of the preaching of the 144,000 witnesses. Remember the Jewish witnesses that are going to go out as the first fruits? 
If they're the first fruits, that means they're the first of the next time period. If they were just a continuation of the church, they wouldn't be the first fruits because we've already had the church for a while. You understand? So there's going to be people that get saved during the tribulation period. Thank God for that. Actually, there's going to be a multitude you can't count. But Satan's going to be able to dwell the Antichrist and he's going to conquer them. But that's not for us. So we'll come back and look at this some more next week. Let me encourage you with this. Be living and ready and watching and excited about Jesus' return. And until then, be found doing what it is he wants you to do in the meantime. I love you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.